Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Well, stand with me if you will. And repeat after me. Here we go. Are you ready? I am a child of God. The Father loves me, the Father forgives me, and the Father wants me. I am His, He is mine. My past won't haunt me, the future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, For January... Well, first, let me just uh, tell you a couple things. Um, hi, guys. Long time no see. Welcome. Good to have you. It's Holly and Adam just saying hi. You guys, I'll be with you in a minute. Good to see you. Um, <clears throat> now, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, just a few things that uh, get off uh, my chest real quick. One is uh, a few weeks ago, Oh, wow, probably a couple of months ago. When we were talking about revival, and I was looking for 10 people. Do you remember that? Okay, well, um, I'm ready to go with it. And so um, I've got one, maybe two people that I know for sure that are interested in wanting to be a part of this revival prayer thing. Um, And so uh, we're going to start this in January, and it's going to be something that uh, is going to be put like on the, a high priority. Uh, we want to meet weekly, not like forever, but we want to meet weekly, and we want to, um, it's, not about, it's not about, you know, worship, it's not about music, it's not about entertainment. I don't know if you saw this, but when I was going to Michelle's Sunday school class, <clears throat> I was just going in to say hi to my wife, and I came out with popcorn, and she had butter, and it was pretty good. She had, uh, she had butter and the salt. And I told her, I said, about the only thing I need now is a movie. Because uh, movie popcorn is really good. But if you put enough salt and butter on any type of popcorn, it's probably going to be all right. So the reason I brought that to you is like, this prayer meeting is not going to be about entertainment. <clears throat> if, if, if you're coming, you know, I, I, it's not about... It's just not about entertainment. I'm not going to put anything on the screen. I'm not going to play the guitar. Um, we're going to sit and we're going to pray for the things of God, for this church, and for this people. And I'm only looking for 10. <clears throat> and so I think I have eight spots open. Uh, and so the reason it, it didn't take so long, what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a significant amount of time before we talked about it and everybody's charged up about it to let that die down so that <clears throat> we, when we talk about it again, I don't want somebody to be moved emotionally, but is is not understanding the co- the commitment we want for this amount of time. So that being understood, we're going to start that in January. Those of you who feel called, whether you're here or whether you're online, uh, you may get a hold of me, and we will go from there. And I will give you the specifics at that time. Okay. Um, I've got like these in my ear, so I always think I have my glasses on. <clears throat> Uh, the men's Bible study that we're starting in January. Um, 
this came out of uh, a thought I had. I was like, wow, we have a lot of retired guys. And so I thought, what a great idea to get together and just do a Bible study. Not lasting a whole year. I think, I think it may last maybe a couple months. And I thought, let's just do it maybe on a Thursday morning around 7 o'clock. Most of you guys who are retired are still getting up early most of the time anyway. You just can't keep a good man down. And so... Um, we thought we'd do uh, just, a, it's not just for retired people, and I know people work and shifts, and there's just, there's always going to be a conflict of whatever time I put it, so I just, we just did it. If we do another men's Bible study, and another time works, we'll, we'll do it as well. So uh, the Bible study that we're going to be going through is called No Excuses by um, uh, Tony Evans, who, <clears throat> one of my favorites, and so, uh, so that's something to be looking forward to. That'll be starting in January, and I'll get you more specifics on that. All right, open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> and so, if you remember last year, we were topical, right? Last year, about this time, we, were start, we had this idea of pursue. And we were pursuing a lot of different things. Uh, uh, anybody remember anything that we pursued? What? The Bible? Did somebody really say, get out? Okay, no. Um, yes? Revival. I thought he said the Bible. We pursued the Bible. Okay. Love. Okay. What? Church. Fruit. Gifts. Xander's knocking them out, people. I'm just saying. So we got six. Anything else? Holiness. Grace. We're at the beginning of the year. I'll give you a break on that. It's been a year. So, uh, yeah, so we, we, we were pursuing a lot of those things through, throughout the year. This year, I'm going back to, uh, um, I'm feeling the Lord draw, drawing me back to, is doing specific books of the Bible. Last year was kind of topical, and that's okay. This year, it's going to be kind of more uh, going through specific books of the Bible. And one of the books we're going to be going through at the first of the year that the Lord was encouraging on was the book of Ephesians. So, have you got your Bibles open? Okay. Here's a New Year's resolution for you. Bring your Bible to church. It's a novel idea. Or if you have your Bible on your phone, that's fine too. I'm not going to be religious or your iPad or whatever, but bring some sort of something that has a Bible on it so that we can get into it together. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians. The Ephesians are a group of people. I think there's like nine uh, letters or so on that are considered like church letters that Paul is writing to the church at such and such, you know, right? The, the Philippians, the Colossians, all that different kind of stuff. And so this is, is written to the Ephesians. Um, Ephesians have uh, Jewish members as well as Gentile members. And so uh, this book is going to be, um, there's some themes in it that are, are good for us today. And you have to forgive me, <clears throat> I left my one note at home because I came early to to do some shoveling, but uh, some of the, the themes throughout the chapters are, are pretty significant, and I'll get those to you uh, next week, but I want to start out just in the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, and you know, you don't have to go very far before you have to stop and pause and talk about something, and one of the things we're going to talk and, and pause and talk about is, is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and we're going to stop right there for a second, okay, because... <clears throat> In case you didn't notice or in case you forgot, we're a charismatic church, right? Um, 
not real big into labels, but a charismatic, but since they're out there already, we'll just use them for a frame of reference for people. A uh, charismatic church, and a charismatic church is a church. Uh, the charismania probably really took off in the like 60s or 70s, you know, the Jesus people and all that kind of stuff. Yay, God. Um, and so uh, before that, uh, there was Pentecostals that had come. Now, you might think that the move of the Spirit started with the Pentecostal movement in like the very early 1900s or very late 1800s. I would tell you that that is absolutely wrong because it really never stopped. It, it really never stopped throughout history. And when you go back and you re- read about some of the old dead guys in Scotland and England and all that different kinds of stuff and throughout Europe, what you'll find is a good book to uh, read up on that stuff is by Jack Deere, uh, Surprised by the Voice of the Spirit, Surprised by the uh, Power of the Spirit. I think it's the Power of the Spirit one. But anyway... <clears throat> Get both of them. They're good. Uh, You'll go back and through, and you'll find out all these guys who are heroes in the faith today are guys that were operating in uh, supernatural signs and wonders back then. Now, a lot of that history has been washed out. I mean, and by washed out, I mean people of the church today have not really been talking much about it, but the history is still there in the reading about some of the phenomenal things that these guys did and these guys would be considered the, um, you know, church, church fathers. Miracles, signs and wonders types of things that are happening. And so, we're a charismatic church, which we believe that this, the Holy Spirit is just as alive and doing the same things today as he was when he came into the upper room. That's what we believe. I just make it as simple. That is the, the New Living Translation definition of charismatics for us today. We believe that the Holy Spirit is doing the same things today that he did in the upper room 2,000 some years ago when he came out a bunch of to about 120 people and 12 apostles and hit that thing with like a mighty rushing wind and wrecked the world. So we just simply believe if we have to have a label, a, a, a charismatic label, that we just believe that. <clears throat> I believe at some point, hopefully, that persecution will happen so much within the church that most of the labels that we've carried, whether we've uh, denominational labels or theological labels, will pretty much burn, and and people will be running to whatever house the Lord leads them to, relying on miracle signs. And much like what you may have heard or read about in former Soviet Union or in China or in stuff like that, that's a good day. And so... Um, And so there'll be no labels when that happens. There'll just be total reliance on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to understand that, well, he really is powerful. He's not just a comforter. He does miracle signs and wonders for his people. And so we believe that, we believe that today. Um, So when you talk about Pentecostals, there were moves that were happening in the early part of of the century, last century. Wow, it's weird to even say stuff like that. In the early 1900s, you know, you've got Topeka, you've got an outpouring in Topeka, you've got an outpouring uh, down in Texas, but then one of the ones that gets some of the most is uh, Azusa in California around, what, 1906, 1908 or something like that. And um, 
you've got that that's lasted, that'll last a long time. You'll have supernatural miracle signs and wonders. You'll have visitations. You'll have things that are hap- angels that are singing in the crowd. You'll have all these different kinds of things that are, have manifested in Azusa that are not devilish, as some people might say, because they reflect the glory of God. The devil does not reflect the glory of God. The devil wants to taint the glory of God in you. So when things that are happening that are reflecting glory uh, to the Father above, you can bet that that is a real thing that's happening. Okay, so we're saying all this. We're a charismatic church. We believe the Holy Spirit's been doing the same thing. He didn't just start it up again. It's been going on throughout uh, the history of the church. Um, And so we're we're getting, and that also is, is by his will. You ever notice in the in the book of Acts where or uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says like, and they and they spoke in tongues right in other languages as the what as the Spirit gave them utterance so they did not do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it they were governed by the Holy Spirit of God to do the things that God wanted them to do uh, ordained if you will by Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit called by God. Okay, I believe it's the same thing that, forget about the gifts, I believe it's the same thing that happens today, right? You've got a calling on God, you've been ordained by Jesus, and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and do the things, because Jesus did that. He only did what he saw his fathers do it. Jesus lived under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Okay? He lived under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was telling him to do everything that the Father was having to do. And so why is all that happening? Because that is how we live our lives today, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Leading, and and listen, if if you can't, one of the things is just open your mouth and talk (laughs) about your faith. Let's not even talk about gifts and signs and miracles. Let's Let's just use the basic English language to describe your faith to people who don't know him, right? So this will of God thing is kind of big. So Paul is an apostle. Now, um, people will say that there are no such things as apostles today. And there, there, there is no more apostles that are writing books that are like Scripture. I will agree with you there. I think Scripture is, is complete in what we have in our Bible. So I don't believe that there are apostles that are writing scripture today, but that is a small part of what apostles were doing back in. And if you look up the term apostle, it's just, it simply means a sent one, right? And so there are apostles that were, and what were they doing? They were going into cities that did not know Jesus, and they were going into temples, and then they were talking to Gentiles, and they were planting churches, right? And then they would leave and they'd stay there for a year or two and they'd go and, and that's what they would keep doing, okay? So are there apostles today by definition of what the Bible says? Yeah, of course there are. Call it apostolic if you want to. If, if the word apostle is a little too heavy for you, just call it an apostolic mandate. For some reason, people are, are more able to take that down than they are the, the term apostle. But there are apostolic people out there and there are um, to do the things uh, that God has called them to do. And if apostleship started, stopped at the 12 and stopped with Matthias, then Paul has no right to be called an apostle. Because he wasn't in. He even describes him one as, in, in a different book as one born out of time, right? He wasn't there. He didn't walk with Jesus. 
in, on the earth. He wasn't around those guys, but he had this road to Damascus experience. He saw Jesus high and lifted up, and Jesus called him, right? The Father called him, and Jesus ordained him, and the Holy Spirit empowered him. And he didn't have a problem calling himself an apostle. Okay? So there are apostles out there. Now, let's go back to this right here. Paul is an apostle not because he wanted to be. Paul is an apostle, is an impossible. Paul is an apostle not because he worked for it. Paul is, a, is, is, is not an apostle because, you know, he was voted on. <laughs> you don't get voted into apostleship. Paul was an apostle because it was ordained by the will of God. And so, uh, that being said, there are people today that are going around that are calling themselves apostles, but it's not by the will of God. And even Paul was running into that. And so let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's look at what Paul is talking about. Now, Paul is, is you know, second, this is the book of 2 Corinthians, right? Um, and Paul has been having some issues with this church, had some, you know, he was addressing some stuff in 1 Corinthians. We're back in uh, 2 Corinthians, which I think is actually like maybe the third letter. But regardless, <clears throat> in chapter 11, uh, Paul is going to talk about what it means to be an apostle. And so an apostle is not, is somebody who understands really humility, who's someone who really understands what it means to serve. Apostle is not someone who's running around gathering up people to make himself look cool and accepted. An apostle is, is not somebody who's exalting himself. A true apostle is humble and exalting the personhood of Jesus Christ. And as you begin to look at this, Paul is saying, hey, I am an apostle. Realizing that they're not really receiving him as such yet. But look what he says in chapter 11. Uh, uh, he he uh, you know, starting at verse 5 for I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles even though I am untrained in speech yet I am not in knowledge but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things did I commit sin by humbling myself that, that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you and when I was present with you and in need I was a burden to no one for what I lacked the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied and in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you so that I will keep my so that I will keep myself as the truth in Christ is me no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia why because I do not love you God knows but what I do I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in all things in which they boast. For such are false apostles. Here's the meat of it. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. A false apostle is, let's read it again. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers 
also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So he's saying that there are people who are running around, who are seeking power, who are seeking influence and desire to be call themselves an apostle but have not been ordained by the will of God. See, you see this in the corporate world a lot, right? Um, White-collar world, maybe blue-collar world as well, too. People who are working hard, who have an agenda, who have a plan, you know, they're, they, they've, they've got, I'm, I'm going to, by the time I'm 25, I'm going to transfer from a store manager to a buyer. I'm going to be working in corporate, and from then I'm going to be working into this. And so they have this plan uh, of what they're going to do and how they're going to get there in the corporate world. And, you know, they, and, and they'll say things like, I, you know, by this time, by the time I'm 30, uh, you know, I want to have, I want to be the head of, of purchasing, or I want to be in the head of finance, or I want to be somewhere in finance. Like, cause I, so they're working, and they're trying, and they're struggling for promotion. And I'm not saying that's bad, but that does not translate into the kingdom of God. There's no working and struggling for, for promotion in the sense of apostleship, or, or prophets, or pastors, or teachers, or evangelists. He just gave some, right? And so it's free. So there's no, there's no struggle to become something that you haven't been called to by the will of God. So are there apostles? Yes. Called by the Father, ordained by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things. Unfortunately, I, I feel that because we've had so many fake things, um, we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater sometimes. Did you ever know where that came from, that phrase? Throwing the baby out with the bathwater, by the way. Here it goes. This is my best rendition of it. So, in olden days, let's just go to Renaissance days. I don't know if you knew this, but they didn't have showers. And they did not bathe every day. Right? Maybe once a week. And they would all use the same water. And dad would be the first, all the way down to the baby, would be the last one bathed. In, in the bath water, where the phrase comes, don't throw the baby out with the bath water when you're done. Feel like you learned something? I was surprised by that, but yes, okay. <clears throat> so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bath water either. For, and I'm <clears throat> here, when it comes to me, listen, I, I, I'm not a pastor by the um, gift in, in, in the Ephesians thing, apostles, prophets evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I do not carry that pastoral gift. That doesn't mean that I can't do church stuff because a pastor has a specific role in what he does. I, I am also not an apostle, in case you were wondering. I'm, I'm not, I do not carry that gift. I don't know if I carry a specific anything in the fivefold. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Uh, but it is not... Um, it is not apostle. So you will never have to worry about calling me Apostle Steve. Okay? You'll never, you don't have to worry about that. I'm not promoting myself. But what I am saying is that there are apostles out there and we need them in our lives and in our churches. Just like there are prophets out there that we need them in our lives and we need them in our churches. 
and there are pastors out there, and there are evangelists out there, and there are teachers. I think if, if I were to recognize maybe someone who I think maybe had one of those giftings in that fivefold, it, it would probably be your husband as a teacher. I think, I think he has the teaching gift that excels more than just regular teaching. I, I, think he, I think he would operate a lot in that fivefold gift of a teacher with what he does with, with the Bible and concepts and, and breaking stuff down and, and bringing it in front of the people. So that'd be one. Does that scare anybody? Do we have to call him Teacher Dan? Or anything like that? We, we'll, give him a, we'll give him a little nameplate that says Teacher. No. It's just a gift that, that God is giving him that he is accelerating and, and doing a good job at. And we definitely need that in the church, do we not? So we have pastors. We don't have a problem with calling people pastor so-and-so. We'd be fine with, oh, this is evangelist so-and-so. Whatever. Teacher, well, okay. When we start getting to the level of prophets and apostles, everybody kind of gets a little weird. A little weird there. Apostle so-and-so and stuff like that. Listen, it's not the threefold. It's not the two-and-a-half-fold. It's the five-fold. And they work together in, for the benefit of of the Lord. And so here's what he's talking about. There are false apostles out there. Have you ever understood this idea of um, for no wonder for Satan can transform himself into an angel of light? Anybody ever seen that happen? I mean, I have in history. Anybody got any who? They come knocking on your door every once in a while, usually during the summer, have white t-shirts with a tie and say maybe elder so-and-so on them. They are called uh, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Have you ever heard their history? Joseph Smith received a special invocation, if you will, from an angel called Moroni who dictated him on golden tablets the testament, the extra testament of the Book of Mormon. That was Satan himself transforming himself into an angel of light to deceive people. Do you think it worked? (laughs) Because it is a massive massive organization who would call themselves Christians but they have a Bible but they also have the, another testament of and, and in that thing are, are a lot of, of non, untrue things about God about Jesus and all these different kinds of things so I'm not saying they're not, not nice people nice people if you are if you are well versed in the word of God and know what you're doing then by all means invite them into your house and have a conversation with them um, Jehovah's Witness knocking on your doors will too a bit more paranoid to want to discuss with you about the things of God than the Mormons I want they, they came at our door and were knocking and I invited them in and I was like well let's talk and as we began talking, it was more of a, a step backward towards the door. They didn't really want to engage too much. Um, 
with someone who knew a little bit about what they were talking about. I think I actually got blacklisted when I lived in Clinton because they never came back. Warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson. This guy will deceive us. I don't know. But that in and of itself was a guy by the, started by in the 1800s by the guy by the name of Charles Taze Russell. And you know what? He didn't have no real angelic vision. He was just a crook. And he was looking to make money. And so he just invented this Jehovah's Witness stuff. That, it's as simple as that. Before he invented a religion, he was a seed salesman. And he, he was just like, you, you ever watch um, those old westerns where here comes the snake oil salesman, right? Well, that's Charles Taze Russell. That's all, who, that's all he is. He was selling miracle farming seed to people and saying, it will give your crops fivefold, blah, blah. It was all a bunch of hogwash. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He didn't know how to make any more money, so he invented a religion. Said he knew Hebrew and said he knew Greek, and back then they could sue you for that. So he was actually sued in the state of New York for what he said and put on trial, and they tested him about Greek and Hebrew. And guess what? He didn't know anything about it. But yet, uh, how many people are deceived by uh, a crook? In Jehovah's Witness. And, and if you start, and there are books to help you look at this stuff to see. If you look at it just fa- face value, oh, those, they're nice people. They're getting to heaven their way. You know, everybody gets to heaven their own way, that hogwash. Oh, these are people who are, have been deceived. And, and that deception that came into Charles Chase Russell was a deception that was. Um, anointed, if you will, the wrong way by the enemy to go out and deceive other people as well, too. You know, they were going good for a while when they said that, you know, there were only 144,000 people who were going to be saved, and then their denomination grew past 144,000, and then they had to get another revelation. So there's, there are things out there. There are false apostles. There are false teachers. There are false all that kind of stuff, and they're looking to deceive people from the truth. And if you look at just those two things, uh, um, um, oh gosh, what is his name? Kingdom of the Cults, Martin. Uh, get the book. Uh, it's an old book, but it's Kingdom of the Cults. And go through and look, and it will. it's a great way for you to learn about these other religions of the earth. And so that when they come knocking on their door, you can have a help. You don't have to shut and lock your door and hide you can invite them in and engage them in true conversation. Why would I do that? Uh, Because you're a believer, because you've been called, you've been ordained, and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go get them, right? Don't let people live in deception. Okay, so there are false apostles. There's false a lot of things, okay? Uh, And the angel can transform himself into an angel of light for deception, even us. So we have to be careful. Now, going down here more in what he's talking about, now we're going to talk about the marks of apostle. Because the marks of apostle are not Portofino shoes, Italian leather shoes, with, um, I don't even know what cool guy jeans are anymore. In my day, they were, they were something that I probably even shouldn't repeat because I'd be laughed at. But, uh, you know, Calvin Klein's. So whatever the, <laughs> thanks Les. So whatever the hip genes are today, that's not the mark of an apostle, right? The, the, the types of shirts and, you know, what, those aren't the marks of an apostle. 
the, the guys wearing girl jeans are not the sign of an apostle, but are a sign of something else that may be bad, you know? I don't know what that does for people, but... But the exterior of what you see is not a manifestation of what an apostle is or what anything is. And Paul is going to give you an understanding of what the marks of an apostle is. Because, see, a mark of an apostle is going to be humility, is going to be service, and it's going to be suffering. I got it done without the last part, right? Humility, service, and suffering. And I'm sorry, but we don't get out of this world without some suffering. Now, we get blessing, and we're, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we don't get out of this world without suffering. You know, and the Bible even talks about it, right? You know, the suffering that happens to people. It's like you don't get to call the suffering that happens to you because you've done something bad is good. <laughs> but the suffering that happens to you because you're a Christian, that's going to happen. Jesus said it. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You're not greater than me, so they're not going to hate me and then love you if you're my disciple, there's an absolute hatred towards you because of who you believe in. And you're not going to escape this world without feeling the effects of suffering because of that. It's just the way it is. The good news is that that suffering doesn't define us. And if we process it right, um, that suffering can actually uh, strengthen us. It can also be like, I must be doing something right <laughs> if there is opposition coming against me. I know of people who have felt the call of God on their life to go do something, and the moment they committed to, them, to that thing, all hell broke loose against them. Anybody ever that, have been there? Done that? No? Okay, thanks. <laughs> so they, God has put a calling, they've committed to it, and then everything seems to be falling apart around them. It is just the most horrible thing. And it's like, why does that happen? One, God doesn't cause it, but he can use it. The enemy's causing you opposition because he doesn't want you to embrace what God calls for you because the enemy knows if you embrace what God has for you, it's not just for you. It's also going to be the people around you, and you're going to be dragging and pulling people along with you on the calling that God has for your life, and the enemy doesn't like that. That's why most of his job is trying to bring division to what God has unified. But these are the other marks of an apostle. Are you ready? Okay. This is glorious stuff. Are they ministers of Christ? In verse 23, I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths off often. Which means he, often, he almost died. A lot of times. Now he's going to go on his list. Are you ready? From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So the law in the Jews is like they could not whip you more than 40 times. Or they'd be in trouble. So they'd whip you 39 to make sure they didn't go over the 40. So he says, five times I was, I was beaten, I was whipped, uh, 40 times minus one. So every time he got 39 lashes. Now these lashes aren't just like... These are the types of, of lashes and stuff that, that Jesus went through as well, too. Three times I was beaten with rods. I don't know who Rod is, but he sounds like a jerk. Okay? 
Three times I was beaten with rods. So what they would do is they would grab these rods. There's, there's, I wish it was just, you know, theoretical. It's not. It, it actually happened. These rods, and they would beat him with the purpose of, of breaking every bone in the body. Once I was stoned, different terminology, it does not mean what you think it means in today's world. Back then, they picked up rocks and threw it at him. Remember what they were going to do with a woman caught in the act of adultery. The, the law said that she was to be stoned. And so all the religious people were there with rocks ready to follow through with what the law of God said and, and stone her until death. And Jesus, right, uh, is there. And what does Jesus say? You who are without sin, cast the first stone. Which meaning there is nobody on the earth that has the right to judge. The only person who has the right to judge, excuse me, condemn, is Jesus. And when he looked at the lady who was caught in the act of adultery, he didn't judge her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't say, yeah, guys, line her up, throw the rocks, let's get this over with, I got people to heal. No. He looks at the religious guys and says, hey, if you don't have any sin, then you can throw a rock. The Bible says they left like what? Oldest to youngest, dropping the rocks and, and leaving them there. And then he looks at the woman. Where are those who condemn you? They're not here. Well, neither I condemn you. Right? So that we don't have the right to condemn sinners. And although we know that theologically, it's hard to really grasp a hold of that um, in working that out in our lives because we've all have those people in our lives who are, who, are, who are reprobates, sinners, the wicked of the wickest, the vile, who spew their poison on you. And a lot of times we say, you know, someday I hope that guy gets what he deserves. Someday you're going to get what's coming to you, buddy. You know, Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't command us to say that. He says, love those who persecute you. Jesus said some horrible things to American Christianity. Bless those who persecute you, right? If somebody slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek, all that kind of stuff. Who does that? His disciples, hopefully. All right. So he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. <clears throat> I, I would have walked after the second. All right. Um, a night and a day I have been in the deep. I remember when I watched Jaws for the first time in like 78, you know? And most of you were with me. You didn't even like taking a bath after you watched that movie, you know? Sometimes you go and I, I sometimes I, I go, uh, when we go to California and, you know, there's the oceans out there and, you know, everybody's like, you know how, you know, you know how hard it is? You're more likely to die in a plane crash than you are to get bitten by a shark. Well, let me just tell you, those are actually rising if you watch the news. And second, I have a 100% chance of never getting eaten by a shark if I never get into the ocean. Okay? So there it goes. All right. There is nothing in the ocean that I have to have or be around to jump in there with a shark. So... But he was a day and a night in the deep. Now, they didn't have movies back there, but I can just hear that 
You know, just those, those few notes, and I've made a mess in the ocean. Okay. In journeys often, how many of you love to travel? I like to travel. How would you like to walk everywhere? Okay, guys, we're in a journey. We're walking to New York. There's people there that need to hear Jesus. No cars, most likely no animals to ride. They're just, they're just walking with everything they think they can carry in a pack. They've got no job. They've got no real amount of money. Paul is a tent maker, and Paul is going to have to learn how to do well at making tents to earn money for the true calling on his life. Needs a little money? Make some tents and sell them. For what purpose? To retire? No, to further the gospel. I think those who are true apostles have an understanding they're probably not going to collect a 401k. They're probably not going to collect an earthly retirement. They're going to collect a heavenly retirement, but not an earthly retirement. True apostles. So listen to what he says. <clears throat> Shipwrecked a day and a night. I've been in the deep. In journeys often, means I was walking everywhere. In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, my own people hate me. In perils of Gentiles, the people I meant to tell the gospel to hate me. In perils of the cities, in perils of wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brotherness, brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, and also fasting. That means there was hunger and thirsting that were not a part of fasting. It was just the struggle of the call of what God ordained him to do. And cold and nakedness. Besides other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. And so he looks at them and he says, now who is weak? (laughs) When we're talking about apostles called by the will of God, it's not about being a celebrity. It's not about writing books and making millions. It's not about any of that kinds of stuff. It's about humility and service and suffering. I would like to tell you that being an apostle, it will be your best life now. But I don't get that from the book, the real book. And that's not just apostles. You can look back in your life and most of us in the room can, can, can relay some suffering that we've had to go through. Maybe it was a little bit of sickness here and then. Maybe God didn't heal me quite as fast as I thought he should have. Maybe I had to go through some stuff. Maybe we've lost some people. Maybe, you know, we've gone through some suffering. Maybe we've gone through some suffering with family because of what we believe. I know the political world has really brought up a sharpness and you can't even talk to anybody about politics, but now you can't even talk to anybody about faith because now as a Christian, you're, you're now intolerant and you're a bigot because you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And listen, that doesn't get better this side of heaven. That gets worse. But the power and the demonstration of the power of God grows as well too so 
you don't get supernatural miracle signs and wonders without trouble. <laughs> they did miracle signs and wonders because people were sick and dying, because people hated them, all these different things. We, we had, they had to have angels tell us where to go. So I don't know that he got all this litany of stuff when he said yes. Paul. I don't know if he knew how much of a struggle it was going to be, but I believe that regardless of what he knew or didn't know, he made a commitment that he was going to stick to no matter what. Because, because he had this he had this Damascus Road experience, right? He had this something that he knew was supernatural. And listen, you don't have to have that Damascus Road experience. God is, is so supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural that there are, there are things that are happening all around us that are earmarks of God for you. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I don't believe it's hard to get God to talk to you. And I don't believe it's hard for, to, to see the signs and the things that God is doing on your behalf. That being said, <clears throat> we'll stop right there. Um, so congratulations. We're in Ephesians in the new year and we've covered half a verse. It's an important half a verse. Things to remember. Those who are called to be apostles are, are humble, are about service, and are about suffering. Not that they are about suffering, but suffering just tends to happen throughout their life because of it. And also, guys, for believers. Now listen, suffering is different from shame. Okay? I, I, as I was singing, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, I really got this impression of shame. See, that's a supernatural thing. As I'm, I'm singing, I feel the Lord impressed me. He didn't show a face, but there was, this, there was this impression of shame, right? And shame and fear are partners. So uh, shame... Shame is always reminding you of what you did, and fear is keeping you from progressing out of it. And so as I was singing, I, I, there was this thing about shame. Shame is not suffering. As a matter of fact, shame has been dealt with on a cross. The shame that you have had on you that you've experienced, and maybe it was something totally that you did, <laughs> and in your mind, you deserve it. But Jesus didn't save you for that. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, the beautiful gift of salvation and redemption means that when he died on a cross, when he's nailed, when he's whipped, when he's wearing the crown of thorns, as the blood is flowing and touching the ground, as, his, as he's dying on a cross, shame has be, is being removed off his people because shame has to go somewhere. And it went on him. See, he took your shame. He took it. He took it. There's godly sorrow. 
but the devil is in shame. And so there, someone or some people who have been living your life about shame. You've been imprisoned by it. Some of you may hope to God nobody finds out what you did. I'm not saying anybody has to. What I am saying is that you can be free of it. It doesn't own you anymore. As a matter of fact, there's nothing you can pay to get it off you because Jesus paid it all. He took my shame. He took my sin. He took that. He didn't take half of it. He took all of it. So that those who are redeemed by him, do you believe Jesus lives in a house of shame? Do you believe that Jesus lives in a house of shame? Because you are his temple. He is what's deposited in you. And his presence and shame do not coexist. He took it. And so to whoever, and I'm, I don't know that it's really one person, Do not make 2020 year, 2022 another year that you've been imprisoned by that shame. God doesn't hold it against you. I am not holding it against you. You don't hold it against you. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.